0: You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal.
1: Today, I'm excited to welcome Chantelle Kabbage to chat about boards of directors and governance. Chantelle is a former, some may say recovering lawyer turned board governance geek. Chantel leads two companies, Director Network, a not-for-profit she founded in 2019 that aspires to increase the number of women and gender non-binary people who consider themselves board candidates through accessible and relatable board governance education, and BoardWell, the only online governance platform accessibly enabling boards to come together to define their role and align their governance choices in a value-adding way. Welcome, Chantel. Thank you for joining us today. To start us off, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background beyond the bio. What brought you to changing from practicing law for the Workers' Compensation Board to starting director initially and then moving full-time into board governance?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's uh, one of these things where you just follow where there's a nudge. So uh, for, for me... I was a kind of lawyer minding my own business, as I say, until the u.s election in 2016 and that drove a lot of feelings in me, a lot of feelings of fear, um, particularly as a lawyer. I saw rights that I assumed were entrenched now being up for debate. Uh, and I also saw a lot of uh, rhetoric kind of being supported against, groups, variety of groups, uh, women being one of them that concerned me. And so I followed that nudge, that feeling to start director. And it was something that was happening very much kind of off the side of my desk as many of these things uh, start as, but um, through it, I got reconnected with some folks I had worked with years and years prior in the management consulting space who were now exclusively in the board governance world. And jokingly asked them how I could work with them again, and led that to a month later quitting my job and kind of really fully going down the path of board governance. So it was just a series of nudges and actually following them, I suppose.
1: Fantastic! It's a pretty exciting way to get into it because um, board governance is certainly a topic that's very dear to my heart. I, you know, I really am very driven to to. to create an improvement in the governance world. So it's very exciting that you immersed yourself in it.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting space because there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different parties and players. There's a lot of opportunity to expand the knowledge of and impact of positive impact of governance it's i think in my world and what led me to start director and get kind of immersed in this world was a feeling of being left out a feeling of being excluded from and seeing that really governance at the end of the day is about effective decision making and thinking that decision making can't be effective when we are just kind of focusing it on such an ex- narrow group, because there will be necessary blind spots that can't be spotted, Um, there was a lot of opportunity to bring more people in, not just for the sake of governance to say, oh, now we have some different directors, but to actually improve governance to improve organizational performance, right? So this really connected view that we aren't just bringing people in to be tokens, and we're not just being directors to be directors, we're bringing people in Because a diverse group of people are going to really help this thing called decision making, which will in turn help performance of an organization. So seeing it in that holistic way, you can't help but want to bring more people in and make it, you know, make a space for everyone.
1: Absolutely. yeah, It's a a very valuable um, um, direction, you know origination point from which you you commenced. So can you tell us a little bit more about what Director and Boardwell do?
2: Sure, yeah. So I like to think of the two as a bit of a continuum on this goal of mine to make governance more inclusive, more accessible. And so through Director, Director Network is about opening the conversation about governance to to broader communities with an emphasis on women. And I like to think of it as how can we increase the number and types of women who consider themselves board um, director candidates and to actually help those women realize positions. So uh, when we started, what we saw was kind of two barriers to entry. There was the um, systemic entry of, you know, traditional Uh, barriers, um, glass ceilings, things like that. But then there was also this also kind of fed by the systemic barrier notion that unless I'm a 10 out of 10, I can't apply. And so you had had actual barriers and then you had perceived barriers that were creating obstacles for women to, to even kind of get into the world of governance. And so we thought You know, through education, through community and through normalizing this conversation, we can increase the number and types of women who are going to put up their hand for that position. And then hopefully by creating this normalized conversation, we can flip it so that on the other side, they are looking for those types of candidates as well and actually help that realization. So um, I think of director network as a capacity builder in our community to actually actively get into community and find Uh, increase the pie of candidates, if you will. Um, With Boardwell, the notion was individual training is great, but board work is teamwork. And Mm -hmm. effective governance happens when you have a team who has an aligned goal. And so often in governance, we don't see that. People get so eager I think either to prove their worth, and you have a lot of people with kind of type A professional backgrounds coming into this setting who want to solve the problem. I have the answer that we don't step back and say, what's actually our job here? And how are we actually adding value and get really clear on a single definition? Because I guarantee you, the lawyer is going to have one definition, the accountant is going to have another definition, you know, the HR professional, community person, all of these people are going to have different definitions because of their experiences. And when we don't reconcile them, that means that we're going to be talking about something and it's going to be circling and we're going to be fighting about it. And we won't realize that's just a symptom of a deeper issue here that we haven't defined what we're doing. So the whole concept with Boardwell, and it, it was a combination of um, seeing this type of work be done well in person. Um, you know, seeing some of the consultants I joined really align folks to uh, a bigger purpose in the governance space and then align technical governance to a bigger purpose um, through in-person consulting. And that's great. But seeing that, that that type of offering wasn't accessible to any to everyone, um, say, how can we help teams in a more accessible way? And through director, I had directors coming to our session saying How can you help our team? That's great what you just said to me, but how can you help our team? And so the simplest form, Boardwell, the concept behind it is we're going to help teams approach governance with a team based approach to say we're going to come together to develop a singular definition about what governance is for us, why it needs to be that way for us. Um, considering our context and then help that team align all its technical governance to serve that bigger purpose. And we do that through an online course and through um, a community group where people can come and learn different topics and uh, connect
1: with us. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Very, very valuable. because it's so absolutely true that in the majority of cases, uh it it certainly doesn't serve any useful purpose to appoint a group of highly talented directors to the board and then find a situation where either their mental models just do not align they're all experts in their field or they all happen to be ceos of companies in the past which shall we expand on the problem as to why we have such a limited pool of directors available for boards is because they're all currently in a lot of cases expected to be a CFO, CEO of a company in that exact space. So a hundred
2: percent. And I think there's um, I'm hoping Brenda LaRose, I believe is her name um, out of Ottawa did an article for the Globe and Mail, maybe six months ago or so talking about the issues you see in diversity on boards. And her perspective was particularly from the lens of um, seeing representation of Indigenous peoples, Indigenous women, Black women, Black people on boards. And I think there was a bit of a twofold in her statement, which was first and foremost, and it's a a line I steal from a friend of mine, Charlene Theodore, who's the the president of the Ontario Bar Association. She told me this concept of being a over mentored and under sponsored. So, this idea of chalking people full of education, but then never actually putting our neck out to, to give them the opportunity. Um, and I think that's tied to a second point that is, how do you define what is a capable uh, board candidate? And you're right, historically it has been, and this was Brenda's point um, historically it has been, well, you have to be the CEO. And if you know, I think um, when we look at statistics about gender representation at the management level and at the CEO level, they're actually even poorer than board level. So you have this circular problem where you want to improve one set, but you're pulling from a group that's even poorer performing. So you are just naturally going to get into a problem. And so Brenda's point was expand what it means to be a great director. And I think going back to kind of the premise of BoardWell you have to know what the board's doing to expand what the definition of a good board member's doing. You have to have a really clear definition on how that board's going to add value. And the board, well, methodology is all based on really rooting the board's definition in its role and strategy, which is one that's been kind of left behind for a long time. You've seen boards kind of either feel a very passive role uh, where they really are rubber stampers just approving things, Or you've seen them take just like such a risk management role where, um, you know, in in light of kind of bad things that have happened in the governance space, think like Enron Mm -hmm. and resulting legislation that required the board to fill more of a a clearly defined risk management role, you see boards take that on at the cost of strategy. So they, they really just define themselves in risk and that can show up, you know, and we have great policy but no one knows we have it and no one's using it um, or or other things. And so, you know, if you get really clear that we're not going to do governance at the cost of risk management, because we recognize that's still a part of our fiduciary duty, but we're going to optimize our role so that we have time for strategy, because we think the best use of this thing called a board of directors is actually to put together a bunch of perspective on opportunity and risk to drive us in the best direction possible, to keep us aligned with the best direction possible. Well, then you can see that, yes, some former CEOs may be helpful, Mm -hmm. but there might be other community perspectives, um, other, you know, end user perspectives, things like that, that if you don't have those, you just simply can't be strategic. And then so all of a sudden, now it gets clear to the board, oh, Diversity on our board matters because it's the only way we can actually be strategic, which is our goal. You know, there's a real business case then as to why this becomes important.
1: No, so true. And I mean, that's exactly why the statistics bear out the fact that the more diverse the board, the better the performance of the company, both in terms of financial aspects, measures, but also just the overall performance of the company is so much better. I actually originally come from a market where the custom was to include more than the CEO on the board. As a minimum, you had the CEO and the CFO of every company on the board, but you reached out to diverse candidates. Unfortunately, they were mostly all male and Mm -hmm. mostly white in that case as well. They've tried to broaden the perspective. So now, There is, of course, a bit of a challenge for the smaller companies. In a lot of cases, the smaller companies, the board is either a group of friends of the CEO, or if they have a board or don't have a board, they don't really know how to transition to who are this group of people who claim they're not supposed to be involved in the management, but. What do they do? So do you work with groups or educate them on that aspect of how to bring in their board of directors and keep it diverse?
2: Yeah, we, um, you know, in that in-person consulting model, which was through a, a group called National Growth Partners, definitely worked with kind of all boards of all shapes and sizes. And what's interesting is, What I've just stated, kind of thinking of your board as a group of people and really recognizing that um, you need to get a group of people working to a clear goal, that that applies from your not for profit board to your startup board to your SME board to your public board. And I have worked with all of them who have struggled through all of this. Um, And so, what would I say on the kind of startup SME side of things is, just as applicable to a not-for-profit board, but you just see it um, emphasized more. Which is governance should never be for governance' sake. So if you're just bringing on a board to bring on a board, I guarantee you're probably going to set yourself up for more problems than than help. Um, and so being very intentional about the role of a board in creating it is going to help you draw the most value from that group. And um, one thing that comes to mind is. You know the model you've suggested, where it's just my brother and my accountant, and this and that. um, That group is often brought together and has that inherent notion of "I'm here to solve a problem," which is where that uh, role—the lack of clarity—starts to really cause problems. Because then, are they management? Are they governing? What does the difference mean? And so, um, anytime you're setting up a board. In whatever shape and format, starting with that role clarity piece is so, so critical, but doesn't happen very often. And I think this, this applies whether you're setting up an advisory board. Um, so obviously, to say what's our role here, and then you just have the distinction that, you know, legally, you don't have those same fiduciary obligations, but it's pretty much up to you, you can govern yourself just as high as a fiduciary board or something else, but role clarity is going to make that work for you. So telling the board, this is what's expected of you laying out that line. I can take it or leave it or not, because, you know, that's generally the distinction with that advisory versus fiduciary board. Um, Here's what I expect from you in relation to all these pieces to make that work. So if I'm trying to get, if I want you to help me really strategically think, well, then what do we need to talk about? Like, give me the the two or three most important things that are facing you strategically and let's set up our calls around that. Right. So it's, it's really, once again, driving it back to intent. I think what I often see is, you know, on the kind of SME side of things, a board is created maybe just because like, we went through a financing round and we needed to pull someone on as a result to make ourselves look good and attractive to to uh, oh. investors. Or someone told me I should have a board. So I asked my lawyer to sit on my board. And once again, when those people don't have clarity as to their role, no doubt that things will bump into each other along the way. So yeah, I think you, know, you have a few more models as options generally in the for-profit world. Um, and I would say that, for most organizations, you're probably not going to jump from no board to a fiduciary board immediately because you do have a CEO and you have ownership and there's a little bit more at stake. But I think as you evolve and recognize why a board is potentially helpful, maintaining that clarity function is, is critical um, to make it successful and to not have you just blow it up and go back to just being yourself. <laughs>
1: oh, so true. Yeah, I mean, a board is not to tick a box on a checklist, unfortunately. And in so many cases, as you suggest, it's uh, we're going for, for a financing round or we have done a financing round. And that was one of the things we needed on the list. So let's just tick it off. I don't know why I need it or what I'm going to do about it which makes it hard for both, for all the parties, quite honestly, because that clarity just helps. I mean, even from the perspective of preparing a board package to inform Mm -hmm. those people before a meeting, which makes your meeting so much better structured. Like if nothing else,
2: if you're a, a CEO of an organization who's contemplating this board thing and you want to start more of that advisory board, think about the biggest problem you're facing. What's the one biggest problem you're facing and what are the types of perspectives you need to think through it? Um, If it's really isolated, you probably don't need a board. You could probably just seek an advisor on it. But if it's a longer term, kind of more um, foundational issue... That then helps you not just think on who i need rather than just pulling someone cuz they have a title, oh that's a lawyer, that's an accountant. No, now i understand the competencies or the kind of perspectives i'm looking for within that person to help shape my thinking. But now you get how i'm going to have to structure my agenda in our discussions to support this to- this thing we're trying to talk about and you know not for profit for profit we see this often is agendas become just reporting and then the board's like cool great. Like um, you, tick, tick, because you once again, don't have that mentality of the board is trying to do something and support something. You don't create discussion. and And this is all very intentional. And that's what I will say is my biggest, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, well, we're a governance board. And then there's just all these assumptions that this means something. Sure. You can have delegated kind of difference between governing work and operational work but that doesn't mean you're going to be strategic i can guarantee you that being really strategic as a board and being able to prioritize your time and strategy means you have to be extremely intentional about you know fulfilling that fiduciary piece around risk management performance oversight but also making time for strategy which means you're probably looking at your agendas not as a single agenda, but as a year's worth of agendas. Yes. You're probably thinking about what kind of processes do we need to have effective conversation? So how do we decision? How do we make decisions? What's our decision-making process? Does that support the kind of conversation you need? So once again, it's technical governance serves something, right? Now all of a sudden, and it actually makes it a lot easier because once you have that goal, you get really clear on the choices you need to make rather than like, well. Someone said we're supposed to use Robert's rules of order. I guess we're going to use that. No, we're choosing rules of order that makes sense for us. And maybe that's nothing. Maybe that's our own unique way of decision
1: making that we've talked about. Yeah. No. Absolutely true. So you must have had significant challenges along the way um, in terms of getting organized, the growth, etc. Have you had any techniques or or secrets for getting over those hurdles along the way? Oh,
2: great question. Um, yeah, I think so. With director, we've. That organization has been around a couple of years now and has, I mean, really, quite frankly, started as me in a coffee shop, putting together some ideas as a kind of one person, then, you know, kind of five people. Um, now we have about 30 volunteers. And I think that is a piece in itself is that recognition of mm-hmm. when you are maxed out as a person and you have to bring in additional additional resources and We're facing that right now, actually, again, and having some really interesting conversations with other organizations like you just to be able to recognize where you've plateaued your growth. And if your growth aspirations are bigger than that, what relationships need to be brought in to level up? I think that's that's a constant piece uh, I'm thinking on, Um, I think that role clarity. And I, you know, I, no one's going to claim that they're perfect at it. That role clarity is, is hugely important in, in allowing that growth too, because it allows people to not do certain things and do what they're good at. And so that's really key. Um, yeah, those are a couple. And then I think it's, I've always approached everything I've done in business as an experiment. And actually um, if you've read, bill is any of bill azir's books or bill azir um was sorry um jim collins jim collins and bill azir's book uh beyond 2.0 it's called but jim collins obviously has everything great, um, you know, his good to great, all those books. Um, but Jim Collins was on Brene Brown's podcast talking about kind of some of the highlights from this beyond 2.0 book. So it's a, a great episode if you just want to do the Coles notes listening and talked about, um, this cannonball versus like bullet approach where, you know, can you throw out a lot of little testers before you throw out the cannonball so that when you're throwing out the cannonball, you know, you're in the general range. And that is definitely something I relate to. Like everything we do with our team, I'm like, hey, this is an experiment. We're going to experiment with this kind of scope, see if it works. And when we've, you know, got some markers of success, that's when we know we can kind of do it, let's level up and do it in bigger, bolder ways.
1: Awesome. Yeah, very, very, very valuable. And very much I've noticed with a couple of the, Woman entrepreneurs that I've met, that they are more inclined to take that kind of approach. They do it more team in the the um, from the perspective of they listen to a few inputs around the place and test things out. As you say, the mm-hmm. cannonball in the wrong direction is going to be a, an awful waste of energy and resources. And then you've got to regroup but and I figure out also, where you're going. Yeah, but also not be
2: scared to t- test. Like I see that <sighs> yes. not just, I, I won't say I don't have a ton of experience uh, kind of witnessing it from a gender perspective, but what I do witness it is from the not-for-profit sector. It's like in just deep seated fear to try things. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I get that that comes from a model that has been so um, consumed with overhead costs and stuff. And I think there's a lot to be said about reenvisioning how we think about the not-for-profit sector as, um, you know, a business. Yes, <laughs> it's a business. yes it is. Um, and so I think that's been one of our strongest uh, assets. And the reason we've seen the growth and success we have is not being afraid to try things and they all haven't worked, but that, that ability to try and experiment. Like I I think the best organizations in the not-for-profit I see are the ones that almost adopt like a startup mentality or uh, an SME mentality where they think of themselves as competing against other groups and not just their obvious competition, but like industry as a whole startup sector, like really start to think of themselves as um, one kind of piece amongst a big multi-dimensional environment and how they're going to compete. And that is when they get creative and experimental in an in effective way.
1: Pretty awesome. Now, that would be really spectacular to see. I unfortunately haven't run across one of those recently, but <laughs> I am now going to keep my eyes out yeah, for it. Yeah. So what trends do you see um, that are, are going to be happening in the in the board space over the next three to five years?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're just seeing governance really kind of have a moment right now. Um, you know, with... I was talking to someone recently and what you'll hear a lot is ESG, right? ESG reporting. And the it's not going anywhere, I think is the, the general theme. Um, and I think that you're going to see you are seeing the three come together closer. So it felt like E and S and G were separate, but now there is this kind of greater pressure on the G to kind of be performing um, a real oversight and helpful strategic role as relates to the E and the S. So the board's role in oversight and shaping when it comes to those environmental and social factors is becoming more and more prevalent. I mean, that is why you see boards caring about what their make, like their makeup is, is because I think social trends used to be just like a, a managerial thing, but now there's there's real uh, contemplation by the board of the um, the risk, the risk social. Uh, factors and trends play on the success of an organization, and so you're seeing uh, a much more prevalent role for the board in contemplating those factors um, and and the organization strategy around them. And then I think all things technology, right? Um, that's that's another big one. Monitoring it both from a, a safety perspective, uh, how do we stay ahead perspective, uh, an opportunity perspective. Those are those are really big. Absolutely. and then i think also maybe a third would be kind of holding the boards more accountable right yes. um it's no longer acceptable for a board to simply be a rubber stamper to simply i have the title director it's a job and it has a requirement and it's a skill set and i think that's becoming clearer and clearer is and which is tied to then okay if that's our job then obviously we should be contemplating these like buckets of of uh, impact to the organization because that's risk management, that's performance oversight at the highest level.
1: Yeah, no, it's an an awesome direction to be going in, because unfortunately, there were a lot of people who were treating a director position as something to put on the resume. They didn't know why they wanted it. They didn't know what they were going to do with it or what value or what the risk was, quite frankly, because, I mean, a a director position comes with a lot of risk. And you've got to walk into these positions with your eyes wide open and Mm -hmm. use it to help the company to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish and manage your personal risk as well as the company's risk in the process. So are there things that worry and excite you as we move forward here?
0: Mm.
2: I mean, I'm excited by kind of the acceptance and or attention Diversity on boards is getting. I think um, you know five or well no more six or seven years ago now really was the start of this conversation in Canada for a lot of reasons because that was when we had legislation implemented that impacted most TSX listed companies to at least start reporting on one metric, which was gender diversity, and which is I would never claim is the only metric that we be thinking up here. Um, and you've very recently seen 2020 federally incorporated companies now have to uh, respond on multiple uh, categorizations, which include gender, uh, which include the representation of Indigenous peoples, um, the representation of racialized people, and the representation of um, those in the LGBTQ community. And um, so... I'm excited that what felt like when, you know, I kind of started this five or so years ago, a little bit of an underground topic now is really kind of in the main stage now and getting some legitimate considerations. And I think what I'm seeing, which makes me hopeful is that it's moving from tokenism. I'm not going to say we're out of it, but I think that we are starting to recognize when it, when it was first implemented, this these uh, reporting requirements, I do think the response was like, okay, let's get our one X, right? And I that served no one. Um, but I do think the conversation is moving away from that. And I think we have to be incredibly grateful to movements that have been around for a long, long long, long time, <laughs> time um, or the work, the, the pre-work and the work they continue to do to support conversations like that, which are, movements that um, highlight racial inequality, that uh, highlight all sorts of um, inequalities that have existed um, systemically in our, in our organizations, we are benefiting from that. And um, I can say that as a white woman, you know, we have, we are getting the the most benefit with the least work out of all of this. And so I, I, when I get excited about the airtime and the increased attention, I think there's an obligation on all of us in this space to not be satisfied just with looking at this from one lens. So we have to contemplate um, this in, in in and beyond just gender representation. We have to think about intersectionality, which is that um, that idea of how are people impacted when they represent multiple social categorizations. So when race and gender, for example, come together, what additional and disproportionate barriers do these types of folks encounter in board representation? And we see it. And what what can we do to help people? So, uh, a good friend of mine said, "You know, if we've been given a bridge, how do we how do we ensure we're going back and building more bridges along the way to no way. to bring in more people?" So, I think that's you know, it's kind of this excited, it's this hesitant excitedness yes. on that. Um, and I would say that would be my my biggest message in in the governance space is. Uh, if you've done kind of taken one big step and that feels good and now you're feeling comfortable, that's probably a sign you need to take the next big step, next right? One. That that sense of comfort usually means that there's more that can be done to really challenge your thinking. And how you can support that is allow space for big conversation. I, I think boards, it's an interesting dynamic because you have a group of people coming together for quite a short period of time generally, right? Compared to management, compared to people who are on the ground. And it can feel distracting or like we're here to do business and so you keep your focus and your conversation quite narrow but I guarantee you when you open it up to allow the conversations to happen that you aren't having happening it'll get messy and that's terrifying but it's there that you'll get the nuggets so if you go into it not just we're going to open up conversation have no idea what we're going to do but you have a way to let it get big and then get narrow um, that is where governance will start to actually do something and mean something and be impactful. So maybe a little bit of like a worry is that just people aren't bold enough in what could be.
1: Yeah, and and potentially too structured because I've been on certain boards where they stick so doggedly to the time allocation and the agenda that you never totally confident that the the broad spectrum ideas and the true strategy or risks are ever identified in that process i mean in a way it's it's pretty exciting for our society and our companies that we are getting this more into the mainstream because it's gonna build value for our our not-for-profits, mm-hmm. our companies, and our society as a whole to be moving yeah. in in this direction. As 100%. you say, it's scary, but...
2: <laughs> yeah, it's scary, and it's going to require,
1: you know, all of this, all the topics
2: I'm talking on here, governance, kind of um, social justice, all of these pieces which are now crashing into each other, they require a lot of discomfort and... Um, what the best way you can support that is a process that says discomfort is okay. Here's how we're going to work through discomfort. Here's kind of the boundaries to make everyone feel safe through discomfort. Um, And here's kind of the end goal. If you have that kind of in mind and you, you know, best case scenario, have kind of a chair or, or some sort of leader who can walk you through that I think you're you're only going to set yourself up for long-term success, but it might be very short-term uncomfortable.
1: Oh, yeah. And yeah, It, it can be painful. I've been on boards where we've had to re-engineer, turn around, even fire directors where yeah. I personally had to Fire's fire directors.
2: Those, like, these things yeah. are the board job. The board is tasked when it fully understands its role with some really, really important decisions. Yes. But you can imagine, and I'll, I'll – give you an example like the CEO who isn't isn't getting the board to the strategy it wants it is maintaining a plateau at best which in my mind a plateau is fine right like that is they are the same thing um but if you've never enabled the board to have a discussion that says what's the thing we're not talking about I guarantee you if someone was being honest with themselves that would be the topic they would talk about but if it's just approval, you know, X, Y, Z, like you said, this kind of dogged approach. Um, you'll never have that in court that most important conversation where you could have added the most value. And I kind of look at it also too, like from the director's perspective, you're not really adding value. Why are you bothering? Oh are you, yeah, like it's a ton of work. It's a ton of time. What's the point? Don't waste your point and that's when i get like annoyed that people are doing it just for the sake of a title because i'm like there are people out there who want to do it for something more so if that's your mentality make way like make some space, (laughs) move over let let a
1: few new voices uh, join you at the table no Mm -hmm. absolutely so do you have any thoughts um that you'd like to leave us with anything that we haven't discussed today since we've cover a lot of topics yeah yeah I think you know
2: for organizations allow yourself to be open to the conversation about what could governance do for us so if you've never had a board or never operated with a board I get a lot of organizations uh especially kind of operational type not-for-profits or you know the SMEs who just are like we're good we're doing everything we're good And I think it's one of those things, like, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what could be. Um, And if your fear is we don't need more cooks in the kitchen, well, then it's who's doing what when it comes to the kitchen, right? Like, sure, maybe you don't need 40 line cooks, but do you need someone actually, you know, figuring out what the menu is? (laughs) And... If, if you're trying to do it all, you just, you do hit a plateau. There's no getting around it. And so how can you start to think about governance in a way where you expect something from governance and you expect it to help the organization, not to just have a bunch of people sit around to be, to be proud of themselves for being directors. So be kind of open to it, be curious about it. Um, and don't be scared of it because I I recognize that the topic has been traditionally very exclusive, has felt like it's only um, it's only for, and great governance is only for certain types of organizations and only certain types of people get to be a part of it. But I, I'm now very confident that's not the case. <laughs> and so uh, you recognize and kind of query and challenge what the value of a board could be for your type of organization. And then as, as an individual query and challenge, how you could be of service and of value. I think that would be the two things I would leave it with. Uh, and then absolutely. for those those types of organizations who are operating boards, query and challenge, are we adding value? Like yes. simply, that's the one question you can ask yourselves. Are we adding value to this organization? Yeah, are absolutely. we adding the most value we could add? Yeah.
1: Is there more stretch? No, that's absolutely awesome. So how can listeners contact you and learn more about Director and Boardwell?
2: Yeah, so I think probably our websites are the easiest entry points, directornetwork.com and boardwellbetter.com. We have social media all over the place, so you'll probably find us in in the various platforms. But um, through either of those, um, folks can connect with me. Um, and through, there's email addresses on both websites or contact boxes. So yeah, I think starting with the website and kind of poking around our social media channel, our channels rather, is the easiest way to start kind of getting a sense of what we're doing and how people can, um, can uh, join us. If they join they, and learn, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much. I will join. I'll link that all up in the Perfect. show notes page so that people can can. Click on the links as and when they're ready if they don't feel like writing it down right this moment. So, yeah, so thanks very much, until Thanks for joining us today. That was a really informative, helpful uh, conversation. Yeah, great. Thanks so much.
0: The Unlocking Business Growth podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients achieve the business growth and success they are capable of. They innovate and strategically anticipate. Fine tune their highest impact business variables and regularly exceed aggressive growth and cash flow targets. If you would like to know more, here are four ways you can help energize your business growth. Number one, subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth podcast to hear from other companies that have overcome growth hurdles they have experienced. Hit the subscribe button in your podcast app right now or go to proteaconsulting.ca. Number two, get your free copy of Nola's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing. To discover her proven strategies for growth, go to proteaconsulting.ca slash book. Number three, download a copy of the Financial Growth Scorecard to assess your current status and what to work on next on your growth journey. Go to proteaconsulting.ca slash growth. Number four, work with us to achieve the growth and success your company is truly capable of. To find out if we're a fit, email NOLA at info@proteaconsulting.ca or send us a note on the website at proteaconsulting.ca slash contact.